Hey everybody, welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast, brought to you by discipleship.org. My name is Dave Stovall, I'm your host, and today we are listening to Navigators Church Ministries. We've got Dane Offen talking to us about everybody's favorite thing, conflict. What happens when your core team just absolutely clashes? As the core team experiences victories and challenges, relational conflict often emerges, and I would even dare to say is inevitable. If it isn't handled well, this conflict can actually derail your entire team. But the good news is Jesus faced this exact same problem. This episode will uncover four ways to build a unified, cohesive core team for disciple making. Let's listen in to Dane Offen from Navigators Church Ministries on this topic. Enjoy. Hey, let's get started. So my name is Dane Alfin. I'm the executive director of Navigators Church Ministries and uh, been serving with them for the last 11 years. Before that, I worked at a church uh, as a group's pastor in Akron, Ohio, called The Chapel. And uh, before that, I did time in Young Life uh, for 19 years uh, in a number of different places. So uh, if you find out that I'm a little crazy, it just comes from being a youth minister that long. So... Uh, we are going to be talking about, uh, you know, one of the challenges that happens very much in every core team. You know, how do you build a relationally resilient, not resistant, as I said before, <laughs> a relationally res uh, resilient core team? You know, um, I don't know about your life, but uh, painful relationships come up all the time. Uh, you know, I had one last week, had to go talk to some people have stuff going on, right? And I think all of us have these situations that happen. And how do you kind of rebound from these so that it doesn't derail what you're trying to do, right? Um, church I attend, uh, uh, actually we had such a large conflict, we had to hire an outside consultant. Uh, and it was, uh, it was really awkward and hard. Um, but... Uh, as the consultants were finishing up their work, um, I kind of bumped into the guys and told them thank you for their work. It was very helpful. It was awkward, but conflict does help. Um, and they just said off the cuff, oh, yeah, we're, we're headed to another one. We, we, <laughs> we have about 55 churches that we're working with across the country. So this is not like, oh, like this doesn't happen. It happens everywhere. Uh, in the smallest of groups, within churches and everything. So we want to talk today about uh, the challenge. Um, you know, it really shouldn't be this hard, right? I mean, it should be, we should say, oh, this is going to, like, we have the, the Great Commission, and guys, this is going to be fun, and we're all going to enjoy time, and like, we're all going to work together, and, uh, and then it kind of explodes. Um, I was reading the Gospel of Mark uh, a year ago, in preparation for, I basically did the same workshop last year. And um, as I was going through Mark, one of the things that just surprised me uh, was this passage in Mark 9, uh, 33. And it's, you know, they came to Capernaum and he was in the house and he asked them, what are you arguing? He's asking the disciples, what are you arguing about? Uh, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was going to be the greatest. Now, you know, competition, right, happens all the time. I watch on my team in NCM, and you still see, 
with folks that work together really well, there's still little competitive things that get in the way. It's just the way life is. Uh, and in this case, uh, the, uh, you know, Christ kind of confronted them, kind of worked through what they needed to do. Um, and then it, here's the wild thing. So literally, I'm going to turn my page in my Bible, one page, Mark chapter 10. Uh, 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do what for us whatever we ask. And whatever they asked was like totally selfish. I mean, it was like, hey, we want to be, we want to be the thing in heaven, man. We want to be sitting right next to you, man. And, you know, it's amazing. Like, like, wouldn't one of those be enough? Like the embarrassment of Christ saying, hey, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, sorry. And kind of the scolding that they got, the correction. Uh, but, you know, it almost seems, you know, and the way we read it, it's just like it's almost like the next day they do the same darn thing again. And so this is really, this is systemic. This is like something that is so much a part of human experience. It's not just ours, right? Uh, we walk through th- our churches and things, and we go, gosh, why are we battling this again? Well, the good news is that Christ had to do the same thing, and there are plenty of missteps that, j- that they just had, and missteps many times on the same darn thing that they missed. So what I want you to do around your table, if you are alone in a table, join one other table. So some of you folks in the back, come, there's room up here. I don't bite usually. And uh, so... Grab a table, and I want you to look at, think about two questions around your table. One is, uh, and you can move the slide ahead. There we go. So, uh, oh, wait a minute. Let me, let me do the two challenges. So, the first challenge is, is, is will I think about anybody else other than myself? See, the, the first challenge is, is that will I be selfish or not? Uh, and, and that's a huge thing. Because we can be selfish about a whole lot of things. Our time, our values, our philosophy. We can just think, hey, it's just got to be about me. The other question is more about collaboration and will we work together? So those are the two challenges. Because, you know, as Americans, we like to go our own way. I mean, that, that is who we are. We swim in that. We don't think about anybody else but ourselves. So the two challenges are, Will I kind of give up me and my selfish thoughts, ideas? Uh, and will I then kind of go, gosh, will I work with anybody else? So what I want you to do around your table right now, I want you to think about and, and discuss two questions. One is, what has hurt uh, any of, just think of one of the core teams or any of the core a team that you're part of at your church, what has hurt that group. And the second question is, as we're talking about this, what other scriptures or verses do you think, oh my gosh, this is, this speaks to this very topic. Make sense? What, what hurts uh, teams and what scriptures would be important that you're thinking right now? Oh my gosh, I got to remember this. Okay. So yeah. And if you need to, if you need to join another table, that'd be great.
Hey, let's pull back together again. So um, you've probably thought about situations that have happened and what was the cause root of some of these things. But you probably also thought, oh, my gosh, this I got to remember this passage, because I do think, you know, when we start working, some of these things will help align us and help us to figure out the path out. So I'm going to start right here. Is there anything like what was something that you guys talked about that caused some rifts? Uh, we just talked about insecurity. Yeah. Insecurity and and uh, a team or just that kind of undercurrent of needing to prove yourself. Yeah. As opposed to collaborating with the team for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I came in late to the conversation, but, um, you know, just the idea that we got to be a disciple before we make a disciple. I mean, if you're being a disciple to make disciples, yeah. it's sort of a little different than I'm being a disciple. Now, out of the yeah. overflow mm-hmm. of that relationship, I've got this incredible passion to make disciples. Yeah. Yeah. That, that insecurity does, it, it, it kind of... And I've been on teams too, where one person is so needy that it just it kind of you can't say enough, and it it kind of throws the whole group you're kind of revolving around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, can, you can turn disciple making into an idol, just like yeah. you have a lot of others. Yeah, things. yeah. Okay, ladies, uh, what was something you guys thought about? We talked about we talked about competition, turf wars. Text messaging, lack of communication, gossip. Okay, why? What about text me, uh, uh, texting? Well, because texting, you can't see someone face to face, so you don't know exactly what's happening. Text messaging, you kind of shortcut what you're saying, yeah. and it comes across other harsh to the other person, and it, yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to misinterpret. It. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, right here, what would you guys come up with? What's something that kind of hurts our groups? Hidden agendas, hidden agendas, uh, past hurts, yeah. lack of clarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those are great. Let me go over here. Let me go back to the back over here. I'm gonna pick on Gary back here. He's, he was thinking he's gonna hide, but he didn't get away with it. What? Tell me about what your group thought. Uh, divisive members um, and a feeling of uh, entitlement. Ah, yeah. Anybody have that one? That, that divisiveness that just people kind of want to do their own thing uh, and the entitlement, right? Yeah. 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 Over here, anything? Bob? Nothing? Maybe, okay. maybe burnout. Yes. Burnout of different members, you know, maybe expectations uh, that people are going to be there forever and people do need rest. Yeah. I mean, they need, they need refreshing, yeah. they need yeah. renewal, you yeah. know, and that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, it is. It, very much so. So, uh, do you guys want to add something? Um, lack of trust. Lack of trust. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> and uh, unhidden, spoken, unspoken agendas. Yeah, like the hidden agendas like the other group set up there. Yeah. So, you know, all those things, um, all those things make a huge difference. Um, you know, one of the very interesting passages, and I know I'd love to hear some of your guys' passages, um, um, but, you know, in John 15, uh, uh, I don't know if you're like this, but, like, I have seasons where I kind of begin to figure out, oh, like, I've skipped over sections in the Bible because I like a certain section. So in John 15, I mean, I've camped on abide you know, abide with me, and I'll abide in you, and you'll bear much fruit, and 
by this, you know, uh, you know, you'll prove to be my disciples. And that's verses 1 through 8. I've taught Bible studies since, you know, my youth ministry days. It's just been, I love the depth and the sense of unity with Christ. And But this year, I kind of began to bump into verses 9 through 17. Now, if you've never looked at 9 through 17, those are, they're, it, the, the conversation shifts. Most, most Bibles put a paragraph right at nine or right around there, or they might move eight down to the second paragraph. But the second paragraph is very different because it camps very much on this topic. And it's really about loving one another. You know, it's, it starts off in verse nine. As I, as the Father has loved me, you know, so have I loved you. Exactly. You know, it's the modeling. He's not, nobody's asking us to do something that they're not going to do. You know, uh, and you see that the point, a big part of the point of, of, this, of this passage of, of 17, it really lands on, he finishes up in 17 and says, these things I command you. So what are those things? Well, it's the abide, it's the bearing fruit, it's, you know, so that you will love one another. And so, um, you know, the first part is almost like, a, um, what do I need to do to love God? Gosh, I, I, need, to, I need to pull close to Him. I need to be connected with Him. I, I've, and it's all these attitudes that we need to do. And then it's like Jesus shifts it and, and goes back to His John 13, you know, emphasis of loving one another. He begins to unpack in a different way what it means for us to love one another. And if, if we are going to do this, and as leaders, uh, the very hard thing is that we have to start the process of getting the group to love each other because it's already going to be a mess. It, 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 and it's going to go there. It's going to unravel. Uh, and that's the challenge because people are selfish, uh, and we are too, uh, and people want to do their own thing part of that and they don't want to play ball with each other you know uh, the biggest arguments I had in ministry were never about the what like hey we've got to reach kids we got to get to that next high school kid and tell them about Jesus it, it was never that what it was it was how we were going to do it and that ended up separating all sorts of people because oh you're doing it the wrong way like Okay, yeah, but that that began that, that was the smackdowns that we had on teams. Is is the how? One person wanted to go this way, one wanted to go the other way, and it's like, oh my gosh. So there are huge challenges here, and um, uh, the great thing is we're not alone, right? And so you and I have to figure out and watch and read Jesus as he led the disciples to begin to figure out. Um, well. How, how do I do that? Lord, what, what, what do I need to do now? Because he faced all these things with a crazy variety of people and got them moving down the pike. Uh, although, you know, right up to his death, it didn't look like his leadership was all that productive uh, because they were fighting right on the, the night, the last night. Um, so let's, let's go into the, if you can flip the slide and... Uh, Let's talk about two areas to think about. And I'm going to give you two large categories to think about 
in terms of how do we build these, these uh, uh, resilient uh, core teams. So uh, uh, we need to know who we are. So, um, and the first part is that you need to know who they are. Okay, so as, as you lead, you need to understand and have a sense of who the people are in your group. So let, let me give you an example. So I, uh, I was coaching a couple different pastors, and I would meet every other week with one of them. And one week, it just ended up that I was meeting with both. So uh, we'll call them Bob and John. And uh, so I met with Bob, and uh, I'd met with this guy for a long time. And it, it, there was one part in his life that it was like, I, I just knew at this point in time, I needed to say something. It was kind of glaring. It was sticking out. And for him, it was this whole area of he, for his, his time with the Lord was only when he was studying to preach. Well, hey, you're in the scriptures. That's great. But like, you know, we, we need that personal feed, that abiding. It's just, it's just you, me, and Jesus. And it's just, we're just doing that. So uh, I talked to Bob and we we're talking and we kind of came up about a sermon preparation. And I said, hey, Bob, like, like, tell me about your private time. I know we've talked about this before. And he kind of hemmed and I said, well, well, Bob, like, you need to do this. This is not like for your own health and long-term ability to lead others. You have to feed yourself, not just your people. Well, Bob, actually, it was, you know, it, I'm not the most confrontive person. My personality is uh, like to be nice until I absolutely have to be mean. And uh, uh, anybody on my team knows that. So it's kind of like, oh, gosh. So, but it, it was amazing. Bob kind of went, huh. And you could tell that he was taking it in. He's like, yeah, I, I, I need to rethink some of this. And it was, it was a step in the right way because up to this point in time, he was just, he would have spent his whole time studying. And he was a really good, I mean, you listen to his sermons, it's like, man, there was a depth. But it was like, dude, there's, there's nothing for you. Next meeting I have, and it's, uh, it's, it's like two days later, I, I meet with John. And with John, similar issue, it was a different issue, but it was like I'd met with him enough and it was like, okay, like, I, I got to tell you, I'm seeing this. Are you seeing this? And, uh, and I said, you know, I, I think you need to take a step in this area. And I was, it, was, it was time. I'd earned the right to say that. And you could just feel John on the phone take a step back. He got quiet, kind of shut down. Hey, John, are you there? What's, what's going on? Uh, you know, uh, we kind of hemmed and hawed, talked a little bit. Um, John couldn't deal with it. See, um, what was going on is that there were two very different personalities, and I was not—I was not realizing what I was dealing with. Uh, Bob, Bob was a high D. If you know the disc, there's lots of personality profiles, and disc is the easiest one for me because I can—I can, I can figure out where people are generally at and where I'm at, and that helps me. And so, uh, Bob was a high D. D's like to make decisions. They don't, like when stuff is all falling apart, they love it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is great. We get to make decisions. We get to move ahead. We get to shift things. And so for me to go and talk to Bob and say, dude, you need to change. You know, he kind of went, you're right. You're right. Let, let, let's, I, I need to do something. You're right. I, I need to think about what my step is. And he just, and he went ahead. 
Uh, but John, John was an S, which is kind of loyal, slow, methodical. He's looking around how everyone else is doing. He wants it safe. You know, he doesn't want to move fast. And so by me nudging on John, John was like, back off. Like, I am not ready to make that decision, and I'm not going to make that decision. Uh, and so what I failed to realize is that I was dealing with two different guys. Now, I still might have been able to get there if I would have figured out the right questions to ask and slowly approach into it. I probably just sort of busted in because it was so obvious to me. Um, so we need to know who, who they are, but we need to know who we are too because here's the great thing about the disc, and I know a lot of folks use different ones, but the disc... Uh, in the back half of the new disc, they have one of the best parts of it that gets overlooked. Everyone just kind of looks and says, oh, I'm a high I, I'm a, I'm a C, and they figure out, Kai says it's great. But the ha back half of the assessment now has as graphics on how you react to different personalities, uh, what you're going to see, and how they react, how, what, what's your impression, how, they, how you impress them. And so you begin to go, oh, so as an I, the what I am, I've got to slow down with an S, but I probably need to speed up for a D or a C. Uh, with a C, I might just need to be more detailed and lock my things in. Uh, because as an I, I run fast. So knowing who you are, knowing who they are is really, really critical because you will miss things. Uh, you know, that pastor that I kind of moved too fast with, we've never gotten back into a coaching relationship. We kind of finished the book, and we still, we still know each other, but it was like he was done. He was done. And, um, and, I, and I just wonder, you know, if I would have slowed down a little bit, I, I, I might have been able to help him to get there. But let, let, me, make the, make, let, let me make it even more complicated. Because it's not just the personalities that you have on your group, right? You have different gifts, right? <laughs> right? And different gifts work things out. They have skills, abilities. And you got to figure out how, how do I place the right person in the right place? Because if you don't, you set them up to just to spin their wheels. But it's also season of life, right? You know, one of my guys on my team, he, he's an empty nester. He, he's a grandfather. He's like enjoying life. Uh, one of the other guys, he still has his kids in his house, but they're kind of moving on, but they're around the country. So they're in two different spots. But one of our guys, he, he's got young kids. And it's like, so, you know, you're trying to think through, how do I help the guy with the kids? It, it, that's all in the process. Um, and again, we can take great comfort knowing that Christ had had Judas and John, the Sons of Thunder, Thomas. You know, he just, had a, he just had a crazy variety of people. And so as we study him um, and use some of these personality things that do help, they, they add. Uh, but, but I would tell you that, you know, James 1.5 is a verse that became particularly important to me in one of my transitions, in my transition to the Navigators. Uh, and again, I love the first part of James, you know, consider it pure joy when you, you know, suffer many trials. 
and that's the one we camp on. But the thing that I missed for years was, but if any of you do not know how to meet a particular demand, that's in the Phillips version, sorry, memorized it in that, he's only asked God, who gives wisdom generously, without reproach. And, and part of what we need to be doing is really asking God, Lord, what do I do with this guy? What, what do I do with her? Uh, because we, you will figure it out, but it does take time. Time to think, time to process, and time together. And then just a graciousness that just needs to happen. So, you know, if we're going to have a resilient core team uh, and a group that can work together, we're going to have to figure out the differences between John and Bob. And we're going to need to work with them well. And, and we can't just say, hey, like, you know, buck up guys, you, you just need to deal with my leadership. That, that, that won't work. Uh, you'll run into plenty of, of log jams, and you'll hurt people in the midst. Uh, so that's the first area they want to. So uh, know who they are, know who you are. So um, any questions, thoughts about that before we move on? Yes, sir. Russ? Yes. Uh, so you mentioned different personality types, you yeah. mentioned different gifts. I think we also have to be aware of both in both those questions are there's different levels of spiritual maturity. Yes. And so sometimes what that person is drawing out in me is something I've still got to deal with as a disciple of Jesus. So mm -hmm. I've got to change. But you also see that there are other people who, you know, like the guy that you mentioned who was very resistant. Yeah. That may have said something about his level of maturity at that point. And uh, so that might raise another issue even for you as a group of leader yeah. is how do I encourage that person in that as you see that? So I just would add that as a third component. No, that's, that's great, Russ. I like that. Any other th questions, thoughts? Let's, uh, let's roll to the next one. And it's on uh, letter D. And it's this idea of a compelling vision. You know, one of my, I have several uh, hobbies. Uh, one is, uh, so you can cry with me, uh, Cleveland sports, I'm loyal, so that's, it's painful, many years, and embarrassing. Uh, uh, but I've also, I love gardening, and I also love anything space, right? You know, as a kid, I remember sitting down on the, uh, you know, we got the television on, and it was a black and white, and you had to get the, the antenna right, and it was grainy, and I watched Neil Armstrong get off that, the lunar module. I, I'm telling you, it was everybody, like, for those who were not there, it just, life stood still. It was much like, in the same way that 9-11 stopped all of us in our, in our tracks, that stopped everybody immediately. You know, he walks off and says, hey, this is one, you know, small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You know, he actually wrote that. <laughs> there was a, there, NASA left nothing to, to chance. I mean, they thought about everything. Um, but he, in the end, he's the one who kind of put those words together, which is really funny. He's just, he was just a pilot, just a test pilot. But you know, that only came, that, that vision only came to reality because JFK in 1961 began saying, you know, I want to send a man to the moon and bring him back by the end of the decade. Okay. Now, the crazy thing was, at that point in time, Alan Shepard, we'd had a bunch of bad rockets, right? 
uh, our rockets would explode on the on the pad. The Russians, they'd have guys going up, and it was just like, they were like, how can we not do this? But so JFK says, hey, I want to send a man to the moon and bring him back. Not just send him there and let him die, but bring him back. And um, that galvanized, that, that vision compelled everybody in so many different sectors of our country. Now, there are plenty of folks who didn't like it and thought it was a big waste of money. Um, but, you know, the thing that you have in your pocket, uh, uh, really, NASA propelled the, the all technology. And technology actually became a friend and not something evil. Because up at that point in time, with the atom bomb, technology was like, oh, it's for evil. So... Um, so the interesting thing is, is that that galvanized the astronauts who had to kind of say, okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, it galvanized all of NASA around this idea, uh, which is, you know, getting scientists to agree to anything is crazy. Industry, universities, right, uh, and government. And they all kind of, now it wasn't perfect, but man, they worked together. And there was a commitment level uh, that was really unparalleled. Let, let me give you the, uh, I'm, some people really like the lines, so I'm, I'm going to tell some stories. So, uh, but it's, you know, it's living out the vision. So you can have a vision like, like uh, Kennedy had, and that's nice. But if you don't put action steps to it, if you don't move out, it's just a dream, right? We all know that, you know? Everybody, I, I was with a pastor, he showed me his banners he has his mission statement up on a banner, and I'm like, oh, Jesus. And I didn't say it, but I said, oh, Jesus, I pray it's not just a banner. Because like, if he thinks he's, he's gotten it now, because it looks pretty and it's on a banner, it, you know, it just doesn't do anything. It's just a dream until you, you really do the hard work of living the vision out. So uh, you have to personally embrace uh, the vision. Um, you need feedback right along the way, because you got to know where you're at. Um, and you have to have conflict success. So let me, get, let me give you two books that you have, if you have not read, um, and they're not hard, uh, but they are so important for us as leaders to begin to think through. Andy Stanley's uh, Making Vision Stick. It's absolutely the shortest book. Uh, it's about that big. You can read it in an hour and a half. And it's something you ought to read every year because it's so basic in getting a vision to be embraced and lived out. Uh, and, and it's stuff that you go, oh, we could do that. I, and one of, the, one of the big ones is leaders have to embrace the vision personally. You know, if, if you don't do that, you don't win. So let me tell you a couple of things about uh, as Kennedy launches those words, well, you know, a number of people began to think, huh, I want to be a part of that. Uh, this guy named Doc Drape, and I'm going to tell you a couple of people who are, you would not know unless you kind of are a geek. So we're going to geek out just for a little bit, so that's okay. Uh, you don't have to worry. Uh, uh, but this guy named Doc Draper was an MIT prof, genius, dreamer. Uh, in 1955, 1955, okay, he flew a plane without a pilot. Now, they got the pilot got it up in the air, and the pilot basically let go of everything. He got the B-52. Okay, I mean, that's the big, big bomber to fly from Boston 
and got it to LAX within 10 miles with no GPS, no hand at the wheel. He did it through inertial navigation. <laughs> it's like, say what? He had this big, huge payload in the back of this thing. And through inertia means, you know, the forces of, you know, mass moving this way. He got it within 10 miles. Well, he, he was like, ding, ding, ding. Man, I, I want the jackpot. This thing works. And they thought, thought about it and talked about it. So here's this gene. He's like, hey, I'm all in. <laughs> I want to be on, on this Apollo thing. I want to get man to the moon. So he personally embraced it. It wasn't just him. There is, there is, back then, remember, there's no computers, right? You know, you have more power, and they've, you've heard it a thousand times. You had more power, you have more power in your cell phone than you did on um, what they landed. Well, part of it was, they didn't, you couldn't take magnetic tape up, <laughs> uh, up in outer space then because it, it, it would just get demagnetized, and then you have no software. So they got some ladies in the garment industry to weave half mile of wire with magnets on a like a a tapestry and that was the exit that was the the o's and the zeros right the on and the off that's how they wrote the software i mean it's the commitment these ladies would work months on on software and they'd hand it to their boss and the boss would check it and say okay it's it's perfect it can go on the lunar module. The ladies had met the, uh, the astronauts. They brought the astronauts around, and these ladies began to call them their boys. They, they loved, they just thought it was so cool that they could be a part of it. See, they, they were so invested because it was, it was very relational, very personal to them. Well, there, uh, one time they had handed in a, a batch of the woven software, right? Um, and they gave it to the boss. The boss said, hey, this is great. We're going to send it off to, to NASA and, and uh, get it done. The next day, the ladies came back and said, look, I, I, we think there's some errors. We've been talking, and we think we did some things wrong. You need to take that back. Like, you cannot do that. And the guy's like, no, no, no. I, I checked it out. It's fine. The ladies were like, no, you're not going to get that. See, there was a level of embracing the, the commitment, the, the, the vision. And all too often, folks yawn. They see it, all they see is the banner in my friend's church. And I, I guarantee you, Sunday, most of people won't even see that thing. If they read it, they'll kind of go. And then eventually, it'll be just part of the tapestry of, of the front, and no one will ever think about it or consider it. Vision's really hard to get people jumping on. But something happened with a genius like Doc Draper and these women that they would personally embrace it. So here's another story. This guy named Bill Tyndall, and he had a completely different gift set. Bill Tyndall was just really kind of a process guy. He just, he figured out, you know, there's lots of systems going on in a spaceship, right? Uh, navigation, propulsion, life support, uh, you know, you have all sorts of things that you got to keep together. And this is really the first time that we've ever kind of put these things together, right? You know, it's just, they were, they were learning. Bill Tyndall was a genius to say, hey, wait a minute. The navigation thing that you're doing is getting messed up by the water dump of the water that the, the dirty water that you're kicking out. You can't kick out water when we're on the far side of the moon. You do that, you'll set us off, you'll set us off our navigation course. And if we're 
even a percentage of a uh, off on our navigation, we'll be out in outer space and we'll kill these guys. Bill had to give a lot of feedback uh, and really get everybody on board. He had to go up to MIT. MIT, and these geniuses were up there creating all sorts. Hey, what time is it? How are we doing on time? There we go. Thank you. These geniuses knew, um, well, they were having fun writing software. I mean, like, very few people had ever written software. So they're just, they're having a ball and making it all fancy. Bill had to go up and say, look, look, it, it's got to get them there, and you've got to cut, you've got to cut all this stuff out. We have one cubic foot of room for software. You've got to find out what's fluff and get rid of it now. Well, they, you know, they, they didn't really like him, but they needed the feedback uh, because they were just going to play with the ideas. So this, this compelling vision is absolutely critical, and it's got to be big enough because we're way too competitive and way too selfish, right? And we don't like to play ball together. We only play ball when the vision is big enough and we get pulled into it. Doc Draper could pull his, all the scientists, because he was in charge, he was able to corral them and say, look, okay, we've got to do this. I know we don't like what Bill Tyndall's telling us, but we've got to do this. So, um, you know, conflict, uh, we've probably all had conflict, and uh, one of the, <laughs> tell a different story, uh, but I was playing basketball at seminary with some guys, and we'd take a break in between uh, dinner uh, and uh, studies and dinner, and we were playing basketball, and, I, you know, I, I not look at my height. You know, I, I, I'm not really made for basketball. Uh, so uh, I kept getting pushed around on the, on the court, and one of the guys who was good kept getting mad at me. He's like, hey, you know, hold your own. Like, you're, you're, they're not only, you're not even, you're setting a pick for me, and I'm trying to play on your team. So I, I was ruining what he was doing. So I remember vividly uh, running down the court, yelling at the other guy, and he was yelling at me. Now, we had just, you know, studied the scriptures and had been into theology. And, you know, I got done at the end of the day after dinner, and I, I was mulling over it in dinner, and um, I just couldn't let it go. You know, and I, 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 like, I'm an avoider when conflict comes. Anybody else an avoider? Right? Yeah, thanks, Bob. Thanks, appreciate it. Uh, but I had to go, and it was, like, so embarrassing, because I knew that I had just, I had been an idiot. Knocked on his door, and I'm like, uh, man, I, I'm really sorry what happened. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I am too. And the magic was, it was like Matthew 18. You know, when you tell your brother what, you, what has happened, you have won him over, as one of the versions say. And my friend Don and I were like pals the rest of that semester. It was like, it, it, it was like night and day. Um, Conflict is never fun, but there is that hope to win them over, and we have to figure out how we're going to do it. My wife competes, uh, so when we get in an argument, particularly early on, she could rope-a-dope me and, and get me every time, and I'd be like, uh, 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 uh. So I've had to learn how to fight fair. Uh, but, you know, learning to have conflict and fight fair and work through your problems, we have to do it. Um, and the only reason you do it is because there's a compelling vision, right? You kind of go, wait a minute, there's something out there that I can get to. Um, 
So let me do a couple of things and I want to make some time for, for questions. So, uh, you know, how do you guarantee success? This is one of the best quotes by David Brooks and because uh, it speaks so much about a culture. Never underestimate the power of the environment to gradually transform who you are. Never underestimate the power of the environment to gradually transform who you are. And, you know, David Brooks writes about culture and and. And on our teams, if we set a proper culture, we will, people will treat each other well. They'll be smart with each other. They'll deal with their problems earlier. And they'll, and they'll begin to play well together. Uh, and, you know, the hope is that two years from now, people are still loving each other. They've worked through their issues. And we know that's all hard. But, this works for good and bad, right? Uh, you know, I was in a church and, and it was, it was eroding everybody in the church, the problems that, that was going on. It was just, oh, um, and, but it can also work for the good. And so if we want success, we have to think about, you know, how well am I doing these things? Am I doing well at understanding the team? Who are we? Uh, and am, and do I have a, strong enough uh, vision that is compelling. And frankly, most of us have very weak and anemic visions. We, we get excited about them, but everybody else is just kind of looking at them and going, eh, whatever. Uh, second uh, thing there. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, God is the victor. So, um, you know, I, I face so many challenges, and I know you do too, and many times in defeats, you think, oh my gosh, I, this can never happen. Um, you know, the great hope in, in Matthew 16 is that, you know, Jesus says, you know, I will build my church. And, and there have been days that I just have to repeat that self to me, because I feel like, man, I, I am, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. But the confidence that Jesus is going to build the church and that he's going to keep it together. Like, I, I, I can rest. Like, I can take off pressing and, and just say, God, let me know what you need me to do. But resting in the, in the middle of that. Um, and that's a growing edge for me, and I, and I bet for you as well, when, when things get tough. The last thing is, uh, is this, uh, it's 2 Corinthians 3. And, uh, you know, if you have not memorized this passage, this is one that just speaks volumes because um, this says, uh, you know, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from, from us, but God has made us sufficient or competent to be ministers uh, of the new covenant. You know, it's that, it's that, you know, we have been declared competent. Not, not that we're like, hey, I, I got it all together. And for many of us, you know, there are days I come in and I think, man, I, I got this thing together. Uh, uh, and, and that's not good. Uh, but there's equally as many days I walk in going, oh, no. Oh, man, I, I, I just do not have it. Like everybody else is much better at this thing than I am. Why, why am I in this position? Um, so absolutely critical. So, you know, it's really funny. A friend of mine was... Uh, uh, he was my uh, pastor that I reported to at church that I was at. And, and my friend was a really good communicator, really smart leader, 
I mean, he had so many different gifts. Writer. It was like, so he was always good. And, and he, he stayed working with people, you know, still discipled guys and was working at evangelism. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, my friend, I mean, he's so good at this stuff. Well, we're at a funeral of a prominent guy that had passed away in our church during COVID. It was really hard, uh, as probably, you know, you all had similar situations. Well, after, after he finished, he was doing the eulogy. After he finishes, this is this guy that I go, oh my gosh, this guy's, he's, he's rocking it. He's got it. He, he actually had one, it was one of the best eulogies I've ever heard him do. So I, sit down and talk to my friend right after, just quickly right after. And I say, man, way to go. And he's like, really? And it was like, you could just tell. I mean, it was like, was I good enough? And here's this guy that I kind of go, man, this guy's got every, he's, he's got all the gifts, man. And here he is going, really? I, I, I think I missed on some things. There's some things I wanted to share. So just realize that all of us feel that stuff from time to time. Some of us, all the time. Uh, but the people that you work with also need that. They need those encouragement, those affirmations that they are okay and that they are sufficient. Um, hey, want to do a couple things. One is uh, we got a contest right here, and uh, uh, we're going to give this workbook away. This is uh, this really is a huge tool for us because it's a it's a disciple making workbook. We take pastors, church leaders through it, and anybody that I've ever taken through, they, it just it helps them so much thinking about not just how to be a disciple. This is not discipleship. This is about the person who's saying, okay, I, I think I'm ready to, to help somebody else. Hey, I'm going to stay around for a question and answers if you just want to. And Donnie has, if you want to get a, the book, and we talked about this at the beginning, Justin uh, Gravett wrote uh, an ebook, and we printed it. So if you want to grab a card right here, we will give you uh, one of these down at our booth. Uh, so you just need to run down there and, and get that. So great to be with you. I'm going to stick around and hang out so we can talk some more. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We've got one more episode left that will wrap up all the track sessions from last year's forum. And actually, we just wrapped up this year's forum up in Indianapolis, and we had a fantastic time. Were you there? If not, we will have a digital access pass available for you soon. So keep checking back at discipleship.org. Join our mailing list to know when that is available. We will begin rolling into new track sessions and speakers from this past forum as soon as we can get them. So stay tuned, hit subscribe if you haven't already to this channel to know when we start releasing those new episodes. All right, y'all, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. We'll see you.